Father, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that your light would break through every dark corner this morning of our hearts and our souls and our minds. Father, we are hungry for you, and I thank you that you're faithful to show up every single time without fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, take your seats. <clears throat> well, welcome and good morning. Um, was somebody saying good morning? You guys can say good morning if you want to. Yeah, go ahead. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, welcome to Regen, like Kyle said. My name's Corey Bradley. Um, super pumped that you're here today. If you're new, welcome. Uh, we love you. Thankful for you that you're here. And um, <clears throat> I, um, my family and I have been coming to Regen for about three to four years now. Um, I lead groups from time to time, uh, you know, small groups. We have a Zoom group running now um, through, through the springtime. I... Um, Married to my wife, Jessica, who's our children's ministry director. And, um, and we have two awesome little girls, Harlow and Peyton. Uh, Harlow just turned five, and Peyton uh, will be two this August. And uh, they're amazing and beautiful and crazy, 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 crazy. Um, but uh, we are really happy to be here, and I'm, I'm happy that you're here too. But uh, look, looking at me right now, just in this brief highlight reel in time, it would be real easy to assume that, like, my life has always been this way, and that would be untrue to assume that. Um, so I, I want to share with you a story today just about my life, not to build myself up or to point any fingers at me, but because I believe that the evidence of Jesus is all over the place um, in my life as he has redeemed things and brought me back um, from, from the grave. Um, so to get started, let's rewind to 2006. I'm in high school. I meet Jessica. We are high school sweethearts, so just if anybody, yeah, so we did it. We did it. We made it. Um, but uh, I remember Jessica at that point in time. She had gone to church like her whole, you know, really her whole life, and she had called me with a heavy heart one evening, and she said, hey, um, I got to talk with you. And I was like, what's, what's going on? Um, she's like, look, this relationship is going to go anywhere. I need to know that you're on fire for God. That's terrifying. Um, I'm not, I was not from the church world. I had been to the Catholic church maybe two or three times, you know, in my life. And uh, I knew that on fire was just generally a bad thing. You know, that's not something, <laughs> not a state that you want to be in as a human being. So, but look, she was really pretty, okay? Um, uh, and still is, by the way. But and she was really pretty, really awesome. And honestly, she was becoming my best friend. Um, so to church we went. Um, <clears throat> and I go to this local church, and I had never really heard of the Bible, like, preached or, or you know, anything like that. I really heard about Jesus. I knew about the concept of Jesus. But I dive in. I give my heart to Jesus 100% back then, right? Raised my hand, got the Bible, did the whole thing. I was like, let's go. I dive into this life that I never, never knew even really existed. Fast forward a couple two, three, maybe four years, I find myself accepting the, the job position for the student pastor at this very sizable large church. And right off the rip, we see crazy, 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 crazy growth. People just piling in the doors, right? But there was this moment in time 
where I was like, hmm, I don't know if this like big church, mega church, butts in seats approach to this whole church thing, like I don't know if it's everything that it's cracked up to be. I'm not really sure. So truthfully, I mean, we were in over our heads. Um, I know that now, I didn't know that then, but we were in over our heads. So I started asking questions, just in my head, where it's safe, right? We don't want to ask any questions in church, like put anybody out or make anybody feel awkward or anything like that. Whose life had like really changed? I wasn't 100% sure. I would preach urgently every Wednesday evening to a group of students, and I wasn't 100% sure that I knew what I was talking about or even believed the words that I was saying. I remember one Wednesday evening, I was doing my (laughs) usual sermon prep and found myself just depressed and anxious and angry, right in the sweet spot, like where you want to be before you give a sermon, you know, just like right in the, (laughs) right there, man, right? But I remember that that evening, I had asked myself a really difficult question. I, I said, had my life really changed? concerned about everybody out here, but I said, had my life really changed? Was there evidence of Jesus in my life? And the more I thought, the more I looked around, I, said, I don't think there, I don't think there was. I don't think there is. So a few weeks later, and this happened quick, right? I resigned, shook my pastor's hand. Jessica and I were married at that point in time, and we shot out of state. We moved out of state, away from everybody, away from our friends and family, and I vowed to never step foot in a church ever again, ever. No way, not going to happen. Don't believe in that. I began the process of deconstructing my entire life. Deconstructing everything I knew about church and Jesus and love and marriage and peace and and, and just everything. Deconstructing every single piece of it. I was ready to burn it to the ground. Not the on fire that we were looking for, but it was the one that was very present in my life at that time. So as I, next few years, as I faithfully walked in my new religion of deconstructionism, Jessica faithfully walked with the Lord. She prayed for me when I didn't want her to. She believed for me when I couldn't believe. She was close to me when all I wanted to do was just run away and escape and get out. Things devolved further and further, and to be honest, like I, I deconstructed my entire life. I had nothing left on which to stand. The scaffolding, the framework, I ripped it all to the ground. And deconstruction is helpful and necessary, but like the whole point is like to build something better and truer on the other side, not to just rip it down into a pile of ashes, but that is what I did. I broke down, standing in the rubble of a previous life, anxious, so anxious, on the verge of another panic attack, and honestly, I was depressed with real no, I, no real hope. I was stuck in this negative feedback loop. I was angry at Jess. I was angry with everyone. I was angry at church. I was angry with myself. I was angry with God, 100% angry with God. Church in that moment, and I didn't know it then, but I had lost my first love. I completely walked away from it all. Unfortunately, and I wish I could say that this was just me, but I don't think this is just unique to me, right? This can sometimes be a human condition, but during that time, I began to develop my own rules for human living my own blueprint for human life. I thought, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm smart, I'm capable, I can, I can do this. Like, let me, let's rebuild, let's make it happen. I began to champion this idea that lives at the forefront of our culture and our society today. <clears throat> the one that says that we would just replace God with ourselves and we'll be the king or the queen, the ruler. 
of our life. John Mark Comer says it really well in reference to our current cultural moment in his book, Live No Lies. It sounds like this. Self is the new God, the new spiritual authority, the new morality. But this puts a crushing weight on the self, one it was never designed to bear. It must discover itself, become itself, stay true to itself, justify itself, make itself happy, perform and defend its fragile identity. That was me. But if we're being really honest, I think this is also us. Maybe you haven't run as hard in the opposite direction as I have. Although I do know some of you, you are my friends, and I think you have run maybe harder than I have. It's just some of you, and that's okay. Still, our, our human story is one, whether we realize it or want to admit it or not, where every single day we can make the decision to live underneath the rule and reign of God and trust that he is gracious and good and loving and merciful and perfect. Or one in which we lean into the temptation to put ourselves where God belongs and start rewriting the blueprint for, hu- for humanity. Being the person that says, I know how to live the good life. I'm capable. I'll get it done. I'll make it happen. Every day there's, there's that temptation. And look, while this is my story and our story, we do fall in to the larger human collective story. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. If you don't, no worries. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat, God said. Sorry. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4. You won't die. That's ridiculous. Come on. It's kind of, kind of extreme, if we're being honest. I'm not going to die. Going overboard. Take it easy. Okay? Take a chill pill. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Although this is the first time humanity walked away from its first love right here in Genesis, This pattern is very much the same every time. And this pattern is embedded within us from this moment on down through history. Here's how this pattern looks, okay? Take control from God. Take control from God. Doubt both his goodness and his character. You won't die. You sound ridiculous saying that. You won't die. God's holding out on you. He is not loving. He is not gracious. You could do this better. Don't you want wisdom? Don't you want knowledge for yourself? He does not have your best interest in mind. Take control from God. Doubt both his goodness and character. The second part is this. Immediately we redefine good and evil based on the voice in our head and the disordered desires in our hearts. Desire is inherently a good thing created by God. But it's also infinite. Cannot easily be satisfied. 
Also notice this. This temptation is not like a flagrant, outright rebellion. It's not like, grab the pitchforks, grab the torches, let's storm the castle. That's not what's happening, although it's exactly what's happening up here and in our lives every day. Satan presents this as a quest for wisdom and goodness apart from God. This looks like a good thing. This feels and sounds like a really, really good thing. Truthfully, it sounds a lot like our current cultural moment. Follow your heart. Stay true to yourself. You can do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Make it happen. You're capable. You're smart. Those all feel like really good things, sound like really good things. They also look real good on Instagram. As a society, we seem to have this never-ending, unquenchable thirst for knowledge. Podcast after podcast, book after self-help book after, and those things are okay, right? Those are okay, they're fun, they're enjoyable. But like we can't, we can't get enough. Like it's, it doesn't quench what we have inside. It's because what we fail sometimes to realize, and myself included, fail to realize that knowledge is not necessarily what we need. We need truth and wisdom that comes from God not the kind that we believe is apart from God. So as we continue to take control from God, as humanity continues to take control from God and redefine good and evil based on our own thoughts and the disordered desires in our heart, like where, where do we end up? Where does this leave us? For me, I personally ended up with what I thought would be, truthfully I thought this, um, I thought I would have a lifetime prescription of anti-anxiety and antidepressant medication, 100%. Couldn't live without it. Couldn't make it a day without it. also discovered this really deep well of anger and sadness and rage that every day fought to separate me just a little farther and a little farther from everyone and everything that I loved. Here's a, just a quick picture going back to Genesis verse six, or chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. It's the first part of human history from the garden to the grave. C.S. Lewis frames it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. In taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. Each moment, one way or the other. So I have another quick question for you. Like, how are we doing today as a progressive society? Look at Genesis all the way fast forward today. Like, how are things going in general? Have some depressing stats for you this morning, so hang with me. The average American debt is just over $90,000. The average salary, 51000 
Student loan debt is the highest it's ever been at $1.7 trillion, with the average student right around $40,000 of debt. According to the World Health Organization, depression is currently one of the leading causes of disability, right around 280 million people. Within the last 20 years, the U.S. has seen 6.5 million babies and women affected by abortions. If you need any other evidence of Jesus in my life, a year or two ago, I probably would have wrote, written an essay, preached a sermon on how that was progress. It's happening. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're making it happen. Making our own choice. You see this, like, this thing? This process of redefining good and evil based on our own ideas, our own thoughts. According to the CDC, one in three women and one in four men have experienced sexual violence involving, involving physical contact in their lifetimes. One in three women, one in four men. Last one. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds. Guys, the next generation is simply struggling to exist on this planet. Struggling to exist. So where do you fall within this data set? Of course, you're more than just a number on a website or a spreadsheet or in the CDC database, but like where, where do you fall within this? How does this hit you in the heart this morning? And, and look, if these things haven't crawled their way all the way to your doorstep, surely you know somebody who has experienced one of these. And this list, unfortunately, could, could be longer like a lot longer. But where do you fall within this data set? Maybe you've lived apart from God for so long, just like I've had. Maybe you've lived apart from God for so long that you're just like this low hum of anxiety, just constantly churning in your chest, right? Loneliness, depression, anxiety. Look, I get they're also real medical things, okay? So been there, totally understand. Not hating on you, not pushing you any certain way, but maybe you've been living apart so long that Maybe that's just like, that's just normal. That's just, just life. Yeah, I can't really sleep, but no, that's just life. Maybe you throw it on your Facebook wall with a hilarious covering like humor sentence where you're covering all your grief and sadness, right? We like to do that in this generation. Meme or a gif that just points out all our depressive <laughs> states and actions. Maybe you wake up each day just shaking your pill bottle like me, like, God, this is like the only thing I have left. Maybe you've walked with Jesus once, again, to use myself as an example. Maybe you walked with Jesus once and somewhere along the line, something hits you wrong and you're just like, I'm done. I'm tearing it down, I'm ready to go, I gotta, I gotta get out, I will never ever set foot in that place or a place like it ever again. I don't wanna listen to a worship song, I don't wanna open the Bible, don't talk to me about it, don't pray for me, get out of my face. Maybe this, maybe you're walking with Jesus daily. You're like, yeah, I'm pretty much killing it. But you know that there's that one thing or maybe two things that just like every, every so often they try to just claw and scratch their way back to the top of your life. That temptation that just like tries to convince you every so often to just like, you're, you're capable, you can do it. Just, you know, just, whoop, just make the change. You just put yourself there. Put God over here. Maybe this. Maybe there's a savior who offers a better way. Fast forward again to 2015 or so, 
And I was super angry. Um, I wrote a lot of stuff down. And um, fortunately for Jessica, my wife, I put it all on Facebook. Um, so she was really happy about that. <laughs> it's gone now, so <laughs> you're welcome. Um, put a lot of it on Facebook about how the church had failed me and like Jesus was uh, really not even real. And, and I was like pretty sure that God had, just like didn't exist. And that this life is, is, it's just, this is it. It's all there was. <clears throat> One day, I, I get this message from a previous high school classmate uh, inviting me to lunch. You guys, maybe you've met him or know him. His name's Kyle Tennant. <laughs> and we, we meet a lot for coffee. We meet a lot for lunch, and we eat a lot, we talk a lot, we drink a lot of coffee, we hang out. And One day I, I kind of leaned in and I asked Kyle, I said, do you really believe that my life is missing something? Do you believe my life is missing something by not believing in God or, or not going to a church or belonging to a local church? I'm sure you don't need any guesses as to how you responded, but it was a resounding yes. Yes, you are missing out completely. So the next couple weeks go by and we have the tenants over for a family dinner and we eat and talk and the next week found myself at Regen. I swore I would never come back here ever again into a church. We find ourselves at, at, at Regen and there was something that existed at Regen right off the bat that I noticed and I didn't have words for it then but, but now I see it very clearly. There was space for Jesus to exist. It might sound a little goofy when you talk about a church but there's space for Jesus to exist here. There was a space for really hard questions, really messy life situations that a lot of people just don't, like, you know, gross, don't, no, don't want to touch that, don't have time for that. I also felt like I, besides the, the, the tenants, I, I really felt like I saw Jesus in the lives of the people at Regen. The Jesus that I read about in the Bible was very evident in the lives of the people that I met. And I said, hey, there's, okay, this is not what it used to be. There's something different about this that maybe I missed before or maybe I'm seeing for the first time. This was all, of course, while um, I was pacing the lobby back there uh, trying to ward off panic attacks, um, deciding whether I was going to come in here or run home and never come back. Messy life situation. All right, there's space for that here. It's okay. <clears throat> It was the first time in my life where I heard the truth about Jesus paired with the way of, of Jesus, like his lifestyle. Like those two had never really gone together for me. But I, for the first time, I saw a place where I could like move forward in my, my, my apprenticeship to Jesus, to become like him, to live like him, and then to tell people about that life. That was so good and so different, so new and so healing, so restful. I met Jesus back in 2009 I furiously walked away a few years later, only to return back to my first love here at Regen. And this wasn't just a single moment in time, right? I didn't just raise my hand and, and, and get a Bible or a pamphlet, and those are okay things, but it was moment after moment, messy life situation after messy life situation, tough, tough conversation after tough conversation. And I look back now and I watch as God showed up every single time every single time and in those moments it's like are you even here like I don't want but I look back and God was there every 
single time. Look, the fact that I'm standing here today preaching, right, like preaching in this moment, God is redeeming something in me, in my life, right before your very eyes. I said I would never do this again. Couldn't pay me enough money, couldn't, like nothing. But I'm here. God has this beautiful way of inviting us back to himself in ways that they honestly sound foolish or improbable to us. They sound foolish or improbable to us, especially with all the loud voices competing in our current culture. So many things competing on social media, so many things competing in our social groups and and at work and at, at school, and like there's so many things happening, so many things to pay attention to. In a moment in time where we're all encouraged to keep going, to keep moving, to keep working, to keep hustling and hustling and hustling, and then, oh, by the way, you have to have a side hustle on top of your normal hustle, and then to work overtime and stay up late and get that project done, Jesus offers us something that we really need, something different, something that we're missing. Check this out in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. This is Jesus talking. He says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If there is such a thing as a life verse, and I don't know if those really exist or if they're just for Instagram, but if they exist, like, that is mine. <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. I want to read it one more time in the message version here. It says this, are you tired? Yeah. Worn out? Uh-huh. Burned out on religion? Yes, definitely. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is such good news. Such good news. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's beautiful. It's not just knowing the truth about Jesus. It's about going to him, keeping company with him, living the lifestyle that he lived. Here's the thing. After everything Jesus had done all the way through Matthew up until this point, right? Miracle after miracle, healing after healing, raising people from the dead and not even like being in their presence. Like he did it. There was a checklist. They've all been checked. And here's how a lot of people, thousands of people responded. Huh. And they just walked away. Not impressed. Huh. That's crazy to me. The religious leaders of the day were also offering a different option, a a life where there were a lot of rules to follow, right? Rules on top of the law and then rules to help you follow the rules that were listed on top of the law to help you follow the law. Like there were so many things, a crushing, crushing, crushing burden, crushing weight. It was up to each individual person at that point to just like pull up your bootstraps and do it. Let's see if we can make make it happen. The options actually feel similar today. They feel really similar to me today, right? We look at Jesus in our progressive society. We look at Jesus and we go, I, uh, okay. 
There's too much. I can't believe that. That sounds ridiculous. It's ancient, right? That's so, it's so, it's so old. It's, we know better now. Like, there's so many different things we could say about that, but it's kind of just like the shoulder shrugging, like, eh, I don't, that's not, I don't, I'm not a church person. I don't know. Or the temptation to just start living under your own power, to pull up your own bootstraps, to take the bull by the horns and make it happen on your own strength, on your own will, Options feel very similar today. I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to say it. Those don't work. They don't work. It takes so much energy, so much work. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we run back and reclaim our first love in Jesus, especially like amidst the rapid pace of our modern-day society? Maybe for the first time even, if you've never thought about Jesus or considered Jesus. Maybe you look at this and you're like, how, how do I see through <laughs> everything that I hear today? Like, how do I, this sounds ridiculous. I get it. I do. But here's a really simple answer, and it's so like Jesus to offer a simple answer. Ready? Stop. Just stop. The breakneck pace of life it's killing us. It's dangerous. Just stop. It's okay. Stop working. Stop striving. Stop trying to control and manage. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Take a minute, even right now if you have to, take a breath and stop. Lean back into Jesus. If we don't stop, we will miss this invitation. We're living too fast. Living too fast. We'll miss this invitation from Jesus. Verse 28, coming to Jesus today, I believe, looks a lot like stopping, slowing down. But only after we stop can we really put the action plan in place, and it looks like this. We take on the yoke of Jesus. We take on the yoke of Jesus. Now, I'm assuming that none of us are farmers. Yeah, didn't think so. So me neither. Um, so I thought it might be helpful to just explain the idea of a yoke real quick, since none of us use that in our nine to fives, um, or if we work at Starbucks, things like that. You know, so a yoke was a common idiom in the first century for a rabbi's way of reading the Torah. More than that, it was a set of teachings on how to be human. A set of teachings on how to be human. In a physical sense, uh, a yoke is a tool for farming that allows the one doing the work a way to shoulder the load or the burden. Here you go, there's a quick picture. I'll give you the cheat code real quick. You go on this side, Jesus goes on that side, life gets a lot easier. And that's essentially what we're talking about here. You're not bearing the load by yourself. Yoke is a work instrument. I thought we were talking about rest. A yoke is a work instrument. Here's the thing about Jesus. He is reality. He is reality. He knows what life is really like and has the strength and power to face it daily. You have to have both of those. Look, I truthfully cannot say this better than John Mark, John Mark Homer does in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says it like this, Jesus realizes that the most restful gift that he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. That's so like Jesus. 
That is so like Jesus. I need a nap. Here's a yoke. <laughs> cool. It's equipment to bear the load of life. Fresh way to bear those responsibilities because they aren't going to go away. It's reality. Jesus puts God's design for humanity back in place and then gives us instructions and help on, on like actually how to do it, right? We're not alone in this. He takes the God of the self that we like to throw up at the top and he puts it back on the shelf. And he gives the self what it really needs, wisdom, truth, rest. And this is exactly what I believe Jesus is offering each of us here today. Rest. Rest. Rest for our souls through the unforced rhythms of grace. While there are so many ways that uh, we could come back or, or to our first love or meet Jesus for the first time, I want to talk about one unforced rhythm of grace that has saved my life and has saved my family's life. It's the Sabbath day. It sounds a little old school if you're, maybe you're not new to church or you're like, are we, is this Jew, are we Jewish? I'm not sure. Um, how does this work? Uh, the Sabbath day, it's very much in the Bible. Um, we see the first evidence of the Sabbath from God doing this himself after creating everything. For six days, he created and, and made a million beautiful different things. And then on the seventh day, he rested. God, the architect and creator of all things, took a break. Sounds almost silly when you say it like that, but God took a break. I want you to just do a quick exercise. Think about your to-do list. I'm not trying to induce any stress in your life right now, but just think about your to-do list real quick. And then just think about what God's to-do list might be if you're like, I don't really have time to do the Sabbath. Like, I don't have time to, just think about the two to-do lists, and I just want you to, <laughs> just like a compare, just quick, you know, quick comparison there. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. It literally means to stop, to stop. Stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, and rest in the goodness of God. Stop, it's okay. Stop worrying, stop striving. Just a quick note that the Sabbath is not catching up on all of our errands and laundry and dishes and chores that we didn't get to do the other six days of the week, right? That would be somewhat of an American Sabbath, but that is really not what we're talking about here. Abraham Joshua Heschel says it this way in his book, The Sabbath. The meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Space, right? The material world, the place we live. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. I've never met this guy, but I love him. So let's jump a little bit to the practicality of how this like works. Jessica and I have two young girls. Harlow is five. Peyton is one and a half. If I say two, Jess will be so mad that I'm skipping so far ahead in our, in our daughter's life. It could be two days before she turns two. Don't, she's not two. Um, 
So we, this is, like, just remember, this is going to look different for every person in your stage of life, right? Like, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, maybe you're an empty nester, maybe you're single, and I'll go over a couple different things after we, you know, get, get through here, but, like, we do our, we remember our Sabbath from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, right? Just this 24-hour period where we are just becoming attuned to holiness and time, looking after that seed of eternity planted in our souls, looking back to God, trusting that he has everything taken care of, trusting that there's not one more thing I have to do, not one more thing I have to pick up or cook or go to an event. Like, there's nothing. I can just rest, lean back into the goodness of God. So Friday evening rolls around, and we're, like, collecting, getting, like, our favorite foods. Sometimes we make food. Sometimes we order food. And, like, it all comes to this, like, rushing halt when we turn off the TV and we turn off our phones. I'll say that again. We turn off our phones. I know that may sound terrifying to some of us. We turn off our phones and we tuck them away and we sit down at our table. And I just picture like the low light of our home, either on a warm summer evening or like a, you know, just a stormy, like kind of how it was today. And we sit and we look each other in the eye and we eat. We eat. We practice gratitude, practice that we actually learned right here at Regen. We each go around the table, say what we're thankful for, what was the best part of your day, what are you grateful for. Sometimes we'll do a Sabbath prayer. Sometimes Harlow leads us in a Sabbath prayer. Sometimes they're really quick because she's really hungry. <laughs> God, thank you for the food, amen. But I love those moments, that human connection after maybe a busy week or a full week. We sit down and we look each other in the eye. How'd your week go? How you doing? Sometimes we light a candle, just the start of Sabbath. Then comes the crazy part. We have movie night. Again, we have two young girls, so we have movie night, and this is us as a family throwing every blanket and pillow that we have ever purchased in the history of you know, uh, our, our marriage, and we throw them all on the ground in our little space in our living room, and like we all pile in as a family, right? And it's not really about the movie. It's about the, the, the closeness, the proximity to one another, right? And the girls are crawling over top of me, and I'm catching an elbow in the face and a knee in the gut, and like it's really fun. It's really fun. Sometimes we end up watching a movie. Sometimes we build a block tower to the ceiling and we watch as our youngest pushes it down and laughs and we all cheer and we have a good time. Inevitably, we get into the later hours of the night. And by late, I mean like eight o'clock. Um, <laughs> yeah. We get into the later hours of the night and we finish out, the, finish out the movie, but there's always a couple of us that are like sneaking back into the kitchen for some like more chocolate or like some extra gluten-free grain-free. I fit on the allergy train here at Regen, just so everybody knows. <laughs> Food allergy train. Um, we sneak our favorite snacks, but then inevitably the best part of Sabbath rolls around. Bedtime. Bedtime. I sound so lame saying this, but going to bed at nine o'clock on Friday is the best part of my week sometimes. <laughs> it's so good. But you know why it's good? Because like I can trust God to just take care of everything else. I don't, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to buy anything else. I don't need to cruise Amazon. I don't, I don't need one more thing and I don't have one more thing to do. I can take that gift of sleep that God promises and just go, Phew. trust that he's managing it all, that he has and he will. So the next morning we get up and we do breakfast together around the table and if it's nice out, we'll go for a walk. You know, Hopefully if it's sunny, we go for a walk. Sometimes we stop at a playground. Sometimes we hang out with friends or family. It looks different every, every week, every time. But then at some point, Jessica and I will break off. I'll watch the girls, and she goes and naps for however long she needs to nap. There's no time limits on the naps either, right? It's just like nap however long you want to nap. And if you're a parent, you're like, wow, that's like, that's, well, yeah, okay, I like the non-time limit thing. That's really good. <laughs> and then we'll switch off, and I'll nap. 
good place to do devotions, maybe study a little bit. I play the guitar real poorly, but I do that sometimes for fun, worship. It's good to read your favorite fiction book. Just dive into something that's fun, enjoy a good cup of coffee. And as Saturday evening rolls around, we turn our phones back on and we connect with our family just through text or through calls. Hey, how was your week? Like, oh man, I can't believe that happened. And it's good to kind of like get these flurry of texts from the people that we love. And we text back and make phone calls and sometimes FaceTime just to see people that live far away. But for us as a family, like with two young children, this looks a lot like up, right, to God and in to one another. Like it looks a lot like up and in, which is cool. And if you're a young family, you may be like, yeah, that sounds like probably something we would do or that's what we do do. Didn't see it coming. Yes. Sorry, Steph. I did my best. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, um. <laughs> That's good. Um, but the point, the point I want to make here is that in a, in a time, in a time where we have two young kids, five and one and a half, it's it's the busiest time. It's the busiest I've ever been in my life. There are no breaks. <laughs> like, like, there are no breaks. You don't take a break. And then as soon as you close your eyes, it's like, Dad! You're like, okay, yeah, no breaks. <laughs> but as a family with two young children, my soul has never been so rested in my entire life. I've never had so much peace, so much rest through this unforced rhythm of grace called the Sabbath on a weekly basis. So look, you may not have young kids. Maybe you do. If you're single, it's probably going to look different for you. Maybe you go up and out and you gather your friends and go to your favorite spot and have a big dinner. Maybe you have your own movie night at the theater, which sounds awesome if I'm being, being honest right now. <laughs> or maybe, maybe if you're single, you, you host a dinner at your own house or somewhere, wherever you live, your apartment, your place, whatever. And you collect your, your friends or your family around your table you light a candle and you look at each other in the eyes and you smile and you remember what you're grateful for that week. And look, maybe, maybe you do need like 24 hours. You're like, I'm going to read a book for like 10 hours and just drink coffee or something. Like that's cool too. If you're like me, um, you're like first hearing this, like you're like, man, this, uh, I don't know, this really sounds impossible um, or, or just like I don't have time for this or I, I get it, I, do, I really do. There's a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things competing for time and for space. I'm not asking you to do one more thing. I'm asking you like maybe what would you cut out or do ahead of time so you could Sabbath. It's not a list of one more thing to put on your plate. It's a different type of lifestyle to consider. So, just to help you identify like, okay, like, well, okay, cool, thanks for the story, but like, what does this look like in my life? Here are a couple questions. <clears throat> what is restful for me? What is restful for me? Ask yourself that question. What brings me an easy delight? What brings me an easy delight? What is a worshipful way I connect with God? It doesn't have to just be Bible reading and worship songs or prayer. <laughs> Walking is really fun. John Moore Cromer provides a good list of potential Sabbath activities in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And look, I'm just hitting this book a little bit harder today because I'm also going with, with a team of people you know, through the book in our group, um, which you guys are killing it, by the way. But you know, we're hammering that out every week, holding each other accountable as we lean into these practices you know, of Sabbath or silence and solitude. And look, we're doing them so poorly, right? But that's a good thing. I still do this so poorly, but like, that's okay. 
The point is to, to do it, to do it, to step into it and do it imperfectly. So here, here's a list, right? These are potential Sabbath activities. Like maybe, maybe these you know, relate to you, maybe they don't. But um, lighting candles, blessing the children, blessing your children, eating a meal, singing, worshiping with your community, walking, napping, making love to your spouse, reading, spending time alone with God, spending time with family and friends, or gratitude. As we close today, I want to leave you with one last quote by Dallas Willard. It says this, We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is disciplined upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. Jesus said it best like this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen. Thank you so much, Corey. Here at Regen, we don't want to be people who just hear stories of transformation, but we want to be transformed ourselves by the Word of God. And so we take this response time to reflect on what we've heard from the Word of God and um, to, to figure out how we can apply it to our lives, how we can live that out. And so I just kind of want to invite you. I have a couple questions I'm going to invite you just to consider. And the first is, um, if you haven't found Jesus, if you haven't found your first love, or if you feel like Corey said, like just stuck in this place of like anxiety and depression and anger um, or fear, whatever that thing is, and you just feel so stuck, I just want to invite you today that Jesus sees you, he hears you, he is pursuing after you, he loves you. And if you need prayer for that, um, Kyle and I and the bandings will be in the back, so we'd love to pray for you if you need that or prayer for anything else. The second thing is if um, you've been walking with Jesus and you, you just, like, you resonate so much with that, I'm just so tired. I'm just so worn out. I'm so weary. Um, I want to invite you to come up with one concrete thing that you can do this week to kind of create some Sabbath space. So if that's, you know, one hour without your phone, if that's, like, committing to take a walk, going to the lake, like, just one thing you can do this week that would create some Sabbath space where Jesus could fill you up, could give you that soul rest. I want to invite you to do that. So we're just going to take a moment, and I'll let you kind of reflect on that while the band plays, and, and then I'll pray for us. we thank you for your never stopping never ending love that pursues us and pursues us and pursues us and so father i pray over those in the sound of my voice today that need to know um, the grace of that never ending love that they would say yes to you today that their lives would be transformed by the power of your love father i pray um, for those among us who need rest um, father we confess that we are so busy sometimes doing good things for you and 
for others, and yet we don't stop to find our rest in you. So, Father, I pray that we would be captured by just this imagination for the rest that you give us and how we can trust you to handle all the things that need handled while we're resting. So, Father, I pray that as a spiritual family that we would grow in this ability to rest in you and that we would see fruit that comes from that, fruit that lasts for all of eternity. So I ask these things in your name. Amen.